0: according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard hearing. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, is it the Spirit that quickeneth? The flesh profiteth nothing." The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believe it not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. The word of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to speak today in an unsentimental and maybe even not necessarily comforting way about the reality of home. It's a prevalent theme in our text today, especially the image and the language of abiding in God. Usually, when we speak of something like home, we reduce it to a slogan, a motto, a a pithy saying, home is where the heart is, it's where we get freshly baked cookies, our favorite quilt to make us safe, family and friends in warm embrace. But in difficult times, such sentiment and nostalgia maybe aren't up to the task. So I want to dig a little deeper, as I am able to consider our abiding in God. You see, the American church, and really in many ways the preaching project of the last 50 years or more, has often devolved into one of rhetoric, sentiment, something like therapy from the pulpit. Pastors are expected to offer stories and jokes and anecdotes that maybe offer a salve to get us through the week. They usually don't get me through the worship service or the day, so uh, I I sort of don't respond to that in principle, and it's just not in my skill set. So I apologize for this being a sentiment-free zone. But if it is the case that we are living in a time of uncertainty, of rapid change, of, as they say in the Navy, bogies coming in from all directions, then knowing what it really means to abide in God, or as Christ says, to abide in Him, to abide in Christ, it, it might actually make a real difference. It might actually be something really worth exploring. Now, maybe you don't feel like we are living in such times, but I suspect you do, and I'll tell you why I do. No matter where you stand on the current debates around vaccinations and uh, wearing masks in schools, you're probably on one side of the other, with vaccine passports perhaps, maybe forced vaccines, another go-round of masking children. This is a hugely divisive topic, and it's not going anywhere. The fall of Afghanistan has many on edge. I'm afraid it signals to the world that America is weak and unprepared. We are rethinking our nation's foreign policy of the last 20 years, or is it really the last 60? We're deeply concerned for American citizens and Christian missionaries in Afghanistan, and I think now even in Iraq, not to mention your average woman whose head is not covered, or some poor guy caught with a smartphone. Our economy seems to be superficially stable. Many are worried, though, about our bad national habit of printing money to lend to ourselves for things that we want today and we'll have to pay back who knows when. And in case you think I'm being too political here, the Bible does speak of just weights and measures. That's a reference to counting money. Of course, in the Bible and even at our nation's founding, money was gold and silver. And this is on top of our usual anxieties and moral concerns, the breakdown of the family, lackluster church attendance, the sanctity of the unborn, the prevalence of drugs, and on and on. Well, I'm just a barrel of monkeys, aren't I? This would be a good time for one of those uh, winsome anecdotes or funny jokes. Perhaps you can hear what I've been thinking about this week, and I'm confident that many of you have been as well. All of these news stories are simply too big to ignore, and the concern is that they will have great relevance, not just for today, but for our future as well. Well, thank God I don't just get to pontificate. We have some fantastic biblical texts that speak of houses and homes And abiding in Christ. If we look in the Old Testament text from Kings, again we're sort of parachuted down uh, into the middle of a great narrative. Solomon has already built the temple, a a great project in and of itself, Uh, and now we are at the dedication of the temple. And Solomon therefore is offering this great prayer uh, at the dedication. This was in effect a worship service with thousands and thousands of people present. This would have been an incredible moment for Israel who had for hundreds of years offered sacrifices in essentially a gigantic tent, right? That's what the tabernacle was. It was a a portable place to offer sacrifice. And you know that David said to God, right? Hey, I'll build you a house. You shouldn't have this sad tent anymore. And God said, don't worry, I'll build you a house, referencing Christ. But Solomon does get the joy of building the temple, and this is the day of its dedication. Now, previous chapters did recount the grandeur and the wonder of the temple. It had beautiful woodwork and overlays of gold. But it is the very real sense that God was present in the temple among his people that is most striking in Solomon's dedicatory prayer. Solomon even says that invoking the name of God offered protection for God's people. He says that those who pray to God should face uh, the direction of the temple. And even the foreigner, he stresses, even the foreigner who hears God's name and trusts in him will have his prayers answered. The temple was where God was found. His presence there, a presence which is uh, validated, if you recall, because God's presence was said to be in the Ark of the Covenant. Invading armies stole the Ark of the Covenant and ended up in the Philistines' hands and they got sick from it. So they're like, here, you can have the Ark of the Covenant back. We don't want it anymore. And then for a long time, the Ark was kept far out of Jerusalem, out of some kind of reverent fear even the Israelites had. Well, now the Ark can come home. It can be, again, in the temple. And so this idea that God is really present among the people would have been a great comfort to Israel. God would and could protect his people from harm. The psalm, actually probably written by David before the building of the temple, begins this way. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Yahweh of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of Yahweh, my, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. We should be reminded that every time we gather in safety, in fact, Psalm 100 is quoted on the front door of our church. You may see it every time you walk in. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving. I can never remember things on the spot. But anyway, it, we are entering into the house of God. And every time we can gather in safety, not to mention with... Uh, you know, beauty and egg casserole and coffee in our bellies, uh, it is a tremendous gift. And we believe that God is here too, as is said in the psalm, and not in some abstract way. As Lutherans, we believe that Christ is truly present whenever we share communion. It's what we argue about with other Protestants, in fact, that no, actually, we do think Christ is truly present in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. And in that way, there is this continuity between the Old Testament and the New, the way that God is present among his people. And so we would say that God is present among us now. This house is precisely a wonderful place then because God is here. And and we, we are to be family for each other We are to care about one another and know one another in very real ways. Wherever and whenever Christians can gather, they are forming a home for one another in the world, a safe haven for one another in a world that can be, at times, dark. In John 6, Jesus says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. That's the language of abiding. That's the language of home. I mean, we abide in abodes, right? Now, I don't believe that this text, as I said last week, is a text about communion. Many have taken that that argument that when Jesus is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it's a reference to the Eucharist. I don't think that is the case. Uh, And yet, we do believe that Jesus is truly present when we have communion. I think rather that John 6, in John 6, Jesus has already again and again began pointing to abiding in him with our entire mind and heart and soul. That's why he keeps upping the ante. Hey, you want to be with me? You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. To abide in Jesus for Jesus means to trust in him completely. Perhaps even especially when things seem their most bleak. After all, Jesus abided in the Father even as he went to the cross. And I don't think of this abiding as necessarily heartwarming. That's why I said I'm not going to speak to you in sentimental ways. But it is confidence building, and there's a big difference For when we fully trust in Christ, then we are not afraid of what the world brings. We believe that even though we see evil, God is redeeming all things for his purposes. Even when we lose faith in our fellow men, believe it or not, God is using even those men to accomplish his ends. Remember that our eternal destinies are a lot longer than these lives, and in our eternal home, we will abide in Christ forever. I don't say that to give you a warm fuzzy, but to strengthen you in your trials now. For if we know that our destiny is ultimately in Christ, one who perfectly loves us, one who has died for us, one who protects us, then we can and should be strengthened to press on now without fear. So where is home? Home is where Jesus is. And we can abide in Jesus and Jesus in us. A final thought. I know you thought I was going to say amen. We're singing a lovely hymn today that we have never sung, to my knowledge, on a Sunday. Abide With Me, it's categorized, you'll see, as an evening hymn, but it is only superficially about the time of day. It is a hymn about death and the end of this, quote, little day, which in Christ gives way to our true eternal home. If there is a need for sentiment, if that is a strengthening for the days ahead, then find it in this hymn. And this music and these words, I listen to it on YouTube. There's some great renditions of Abide With Me on YouTube if you want to listen to them or your preferred video app of choice. If you want to read these words through the week, take a hymnal home. We've got lots of extras. Everyone should have an LBW at home. Use this hymn to draw nearer to Christ and know that he seeks also to abide in you. By the way, the third verse, we'll sing a cappella, third verse a cappella. And know that as the hymn states, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless, ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Amen.